Good morning. I love the Bible. I know, what a thing to say. I do, and I love the Bible, and I, I'm, I love the idea of other people loving the Bible. And so, my hope as we begin this new year and this new decade is, to, is that I can help you to love the Bible too. But it's hard to love the Bible if you don't have a really a, a handle on the arc of the narrative, what, what's happening over the course, especially of the Old Testament. I think we can get bogged down in the Old Testament and, and pick little stories here or there that make us want to just leave it for dead. But I think if we know what's going on over the course of that corpus of Scripture, it, it can be very exciting and can enliven our faith and it can help us to understand our tradition. And so that's what we're going to do over the next couple months. We're going to look at the prophets. The sermon series is called Prophets in Profile and we'll be looking at eight different prophets and through them taking a look at the arc of the narrative from exodus to exile to restoration to return all of this whole arc that i think will help uh, excite you i hope will help excite you and make you love the bible more and help it and help it to nur- nurture who you are as a person of faith so today our first prophet that we're going to be profiling is the prophet miriam but before i do just a quick question can you hear me Okay, good. This is Keith's mic that I've stolen from him, and it doesn't fit my head. So you're going to see me do this all day. Just try to ignore it, and I will try to do it as little as I can. But let's pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. So it was the, the week leading up to Christmas, and everything was piling up. Tasks were piling up. Details were piling up, but goodies, goodies were also piling up. You should have seen them. On my desk sat this huge fruit basket delivered by a funeral home. (laughs) No. And next to the fruit basket, there were plates of homemade cookies and chocolates. And the staff kitchen also, it's... Its counter was littered with goodies. And and then this day, on this day, Jen, who who is my assistant, she pops into my office and she says, uh, Nate, I think you should eat some lunch. There's leftover Panera in the refrigerator, some soups and sandwiches that I wrapped up from the luncheon yesterday. Why don't you go have one? And so I thought, well, maybe I should. And so I got up from my desk. But just as I got up from my desk, I received a text from my wife, and she said, something has happened at the high school. 
an alarm was pulled for an active shooter. Grace, who's our oldest daughter, is now at the police station. That's where she ran. I sat back down. The last thing I wanted to do was eat then. My stomach had been twisted in two and there was this new taste in my mouth. A taste of bitterness. The prophetess Miriam knows all about bitterness. In fact, her name in Hebrew, that's what it means. It means a sea of bitterness. She's named this way, a sea of bitterness, to represent the tone of the community at the time she's born. By the time she's born under Pharaoh's regime, Egypt is oppressing the Hebrew community at an all-time high. Folks were bitter, to say the least. When we first meet Miriam, we meet her standing alongside the River Nile. She's waiting for her baby brother Moses to float down in this basket. See, Pharaoh had ordered all the boys, all the Hebrew boys, to be killed. And so this was his mother's way of saving him, putting him in a basket and floating him down the River Nile. And so Miriam watches and waits to see where he will end up. Imagine how her mouth drops as she watches none other than Pharaoh's daughter pull her baby brother from the River Nile. But she doesn't hurt the boy. Instead, she takes pity on him. And so Miriam recognizes the moment and she sweeps in and she says, Can I find a nursemaid for you? And before Pharaoh's daughter can have yes come out of her mouth, Miriam has run off to find their mother, who is more than happy to take on the job. This was the life of the young Hebrew girl, Miriam. It was up to her. It was up to her. Saving her brother, who was supposed to save the people, it was up to her. And even though he would be the one to become the household name, she would probably not even get a notice later in life over the years. One day, some pastor would probably preach a sermon series on the prophets, and people wouldn't even know who she was, Miriam. And if they did know who she was, they certainly wouldn't think of her as a prophet. Right? And yet still, I imagine it felt like everything was up to her. You can see it later on in the book of Numbers when we find Miriam and Moses and Aaron leading the community through the wilderness after the exodus. Moses falls in with a Cushite woman, a foreigner, and he marries her. And Miriam takes it upon herself to, to try to gain a new level of leadership in the community because in her mind, she needs to fix this. She needs to set it right. It's up to her. Well, God punishes her for that one and afflicts her with leprosy for seven days and she's banished from the community for that period of time. 
All because she felt like everything was up to her. To keep things straight, it was up to her. And when it feels like everything is up to you, life can become pretty bitter. Right? I think Miriam would resonate with what Nadia Boltz Weber wrote when she was writing about God's grace. She says, I've tried trying harder and it didn't make me free. It just made me tired. Which is what makes Miriam's most famous act, the one we read about today, what, it's what makes this act so inspiring. Because she lets go. She lets go of trying to believe and enact that everything was up to her to manage. And, and she's free for this moment from that reality and recognizes how God has delivered her community. And, and so she plays the tambourine. In the days leading up to the Passover, God told the Hebrews to start getting ready. And so the flocks were gathered and the valuables were stored up and the Passover liturgy was handed down. And on the night of the escape, the blood of the lamb was painted on the doors. You remember this story? And God passed over the Hebrews and struck down the Egyptians. And the Bible tells us that there's a loud cry in Egypt and God said, rise up and go away and take your flocks and your herds and be gone. Remember? And they went and they rushed out so quickly that the cakes of dough that they had brought with them out of Egypt, they were unleavened because they couldn't wait. Amidst all of that though, amidst all of the commotion and the scurrying, Miriam, the one called bitter, is the one to remember to pack the tambourine. With Pharaoh at her back and the Red Sea at her front, Miriam the prophetess anticipates that there will be a reason to sing and dance and praise God in the days ahead. And when the moment comes and the sea is parted and Pharaoh's army was lost, Miriam is the one to call the community together and they praise God together and there is no sign of her bitterness anywhere to be found. Her bitterness sat somewhere at the bottom of the sea with the horses and the chariots. Where is your bitterness? Where is your bitterness? We're not crossing the Red Sea, but we are crossing over into a new decade. So it's a good time to ask, are you carrying your bitterness? I mean, has it been up to you? This army chasing you, has it been up to you to manage this army? This, has it been up to you to, to provide and to remember? Has it been up to you to carry on and to succeed? Have all the little details of life been up to you and no one even seems to notice and so life has become bitter? 
If Miriam teaches us anything at all, you can't do it all, is the prophecy that I think we need to hear as we cross over into 2020. Hoping that the bitterness won't cross over with us. You can't do it all. Things will become pretty bitter pretty quick if you think you have to. You can't do it all, but you can pack the tambourines. You can anticipate that God is going to be doing something on this side of the crossing over. There will be something for us to celebrate God will be doing. On that day that my mouth went bitter, when I had stood up to go get myself some leftover Panera, I sat down in my chair, and Alex, our youth minister, rushed into my office and he said, Pastor Nate, something has happened at the high school. And I said, yes, Ari just texted me about it. And then he left, and he came back a few seconds later, and he said, Pastor Nate, there are kids in the church. And we hustled together down the cloister, and I could see their feet. They were, they were huddled in the narthex. Over a hundred teenagers and their teachers spilled out from the narthex into the back pews. They were kids of every race, of every religion, and they were all scared because they didn't know what had happened at their school. They were all on their phones trying to reach their parents trying to reach another student who might have known what had happened at the school, why the alarm was pulled. I approached the teacher. She said, we don't know what happened. Someone says there was a gun. We heard the alarm and ran. We didn't know where to run, so we came here. And in those moments, it's easy to feel very small because there's nothing you can do. You can't fix anything. You don't even know what really happened. And I have a daughter who's across the street. There's nothing to fix. All we knew was, while they hadn't crossed the Red Sea, they had crossed Long Lake. <laughs> and it wasn't us, up to us to save anything or to fix what was wrong. Just hold them in this holy moment and play whatever tambourines we had, right? And so, we put the fruit baskets to good work. <laughs> the plates of cookies. If you were one who delivered cookies to my desk, they were eaten. 
the leftover Panera, along with the food, the kids, they took our water bottles and they settled down. I saw Alex leaning over a pew as a group of teenage girls cried. One of our sextons stood with Pastor Chris and me as we welcomed adrenaline-riddled parents who came to pick up their children. Welcome to the Kirk, we said. I watched one dad take a picture of the welcome friend sign that's painted over the front door. That's pretty appropriate for today, he sighed. Later that day, after all the kids had been picked up, the president of the school board stopped by to thank us. Principal Hollerith also came by and followed up with a phone call. The superintendent sent a note to the community and included the Kirk in her thanks for support. On Christmas Eve, a member of the police department stopped by with a letter from the chief who wanted to offer gratitude. Not because we fixed anything, but because people notice, even if they don't know what they're noticing, people notice holy moments. And when the time came to embrace the holy, we did like Miriam and played the tambourine. It might be that the year gone by or the decade past has left a bit of a bitter taste in your mouth because like Miriam, it has felt like so much of life has been up to you that you've been scratching and clawing at it. But I believe God is going to do something in the coming days. God has been working and will continue to work. In the year ahead, in the decade ahead, some holy thing will be before you, in your church, in your family, in your life. I hope that we can anticipate it, that we've packed appropriately for it, so that when the time comes, like with Miriam, we'll be ready to play. Amen.